Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In this series, Pastor Chad Gilligan talks about things that affect us in our everyday lives. Listen as he teaches us how to live in light of what Christ has done for us in this series called Real Life Stuff. Well, can I tell you a cool story? Well, now you'd like to hear, but you're not going to. That's just it. Okay, you might not know this, but there's a a large group of airmen. Well, Toledo's the proud home of the 180th Fighter Wing of the Air National Guard. You knew that, right? And uh, yeah, all right. There's a group of airmen that are uh, currently deployed right now, and there's probably, I don't know, at least 10, maybe 15 from Calvary that are a part of that group, individuals that would call Calvary their church home. And uh, so last Sunday, they started a Bible study while they are gone. And after the Bible study, one of the guys that's been coming to Calvary walked up to, this guy Bill that's been coming to Calvary walked up to this guy Jeff and said, hey, next week at the Bible study, will you baptize me? And so this morning, here's some pictures. Well, morning for us, here's a picture here. This was their evening because of the chime change that's there. Out in the Pacific Ocean, there was a baptism of some Calvary folks that took place. Isn't that awesome? And... uh, That's legit. They weren't just standing there. Now you know, right? And so... uh, And there's the celebration and just such a cool thing to see life change happening literally all around the world. And uh, we are proud of not just some of our Toledoans, but of some of our Calvaryans, I guess, uh, who are uh, out um, bringing life change all around the world and helping to protect our country. And uh, we've promised them that we would be praying for them while they were gone. And I think it would be great if we did that right now, don't you? Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for life change that you're bringing um, through some of our own Calvary family on the other side of the world. And God, we pray for our friends as they're deployed. Lord, would you protect them? Lord, we pray that you would protect them physically. God, that you would protect them emotionally. We pray that you protect them spiritually. God, we pray for their families that are here. And in this time of uh, uh, separation, God, that you would bring health and strength and protection to their families. And Lord, we pray for those airmen that are gone, Lord, that not only would you physically protect them, but God, that you would spiritually do a tremendous work in their lives. And God, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, have you ever, have you ever had this happen? Where somebody promises you something, they say, this is what we're going to do for you, and then they do not deliver. You ever had that happen? Somebody says, look, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to follow through. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be successful. I'm going I'm to honor you. I'm going to serve you in this way. And then literally, they drop the ball. On this Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> if you are a fan of the Browns or the Lions or the Bengals or, yes, even my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers, promises were made that were broken on this day. True? I mean, that's the reality. And so for, you know, I ask some people, hey, what do you, what do you think of the Super Bowl? Who are you pulling for? They're just like, ah, I just want to watch a good game. Because you get to a certain point, especially a year like this, for a lot of us, we're just not connected to any of the teams. And it doesn't really matter. And when we think about our teams, some of us go into a deep state of grief. <laughs> and we grieve over what was promised to us, over the relationship of victory that we thought we'd have. And somehow that we lost, that word um, grieving 
is a powerful word. You know, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians. We're in a series that we're calling Real Life Stuff. Next week, we're going to start um, kind of moving into the next section of Ephesians chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. We're going to just do a series called Family Matters. And we're going to be talking about those relationships that are the closest to us in the family, in the workplace, the places where we really live our everyday lives. And that'll be the next four weeks. And I'm really excited to see how God's word is going to help us. And we're finishing up this series today, this Real Life Stuff. And in the process, we we're going to look at the kind of verses 18 through 20, and we will here in just a moment, of Ephesians chapter 5, but there was one verse that in this, this, this series, as we've been moving through the book of Ephesians, that we kind of skipped over, not on purpose, it just, it, 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 it's nuzzled in, in, in right between some different other topics, and it's there, and it's a powerful verse, and I just kept thinking, well, it'll come up, it'll come up, we'll, we'll hit this at some point, it kind of thought maybe it would fit a little bit into what we we're talking about today. And then as I was preparing for this week, instead of what I thought God had for a direction for us, I I really believe he has something different for us to look at today. It's a passage of scripture in Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. And can I just encourage you right out of the gate, some of us come to church just so we can smile and be encouraged and, and feel good. This might not be a feel good verse. But I promise you, that if you'll let the power of God's word do a work in your heart, you sure will feel a whole lot better. Isn't that true? Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. Listen, listen to what Paul says. Remember, he's giving instructions to the church in Ephesus, people who've had their lives changed by Jesus Christ. And he says to them, if Jesus has changed your life, then your life will be changed. And we've talked about what? Real life stuff. We've talked to everybody about everything from anger and bitterness to our words, we've talked about immorality, we've talked about the God's presence in our lives, we've looked at so many different things. Last week we explored the will of God, and in the midst of all of this, look at this this note that Paul puts there. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Look, Look at that verse again, and do not grieve, there's that word again, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Can I, can I take just a few moments, and I, I want to make a few observations about this verse. And, and if, if you'll hang with me for just a few moments, some of this is going to seem kind of random. But I want to talk about some ideas about the Holy Spirit that are implied or seen very clearly in this verse and talk about how that fits into your life and my life and our everyday relationship with God. Here's here's just a few observations. One is this, that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. I think sometimes, especially if, if, um, truth is, if we've been very familiar with the church, if we're comfortable in the church, sometimes we begin to think of the Holy Spirit in, in, a, in a different kind of way. Because we use words like spirit. We use words like ghost. If you're a King James person, you, you talk about the Holy Ghost. And the idea is this. Look, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy, person, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, if you look in Scripture, is a person. He is a he. He is someone, not just something. Listen to the language that Jesus uses when he explains that the Holy Spirit is coming to the disciples. John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Does that language sound like an it or a thing? No, that's a person. That's someone who is with you, who lives among you, who is beside you. And look, if you can, if you can make something personal, if you can understand that, it changes the reality of it for you. You know, almost... Um, monthly, if not weekly, there's some kind of tragedy that hits, and we see it on the news. And so many times we see an earthquake, or we see a tornado, or we see a hurricane, or we see a flood, or we see whatever, and we see it, and we go, oh, that's terrible, and then we change the channel back to the Food Network, right? That's just kind of our normal reality. Well, several years ago, and and, and you met him because he came and spoke to us after it, a friend of ours, Peter Conforti, his church and his home were, were, were pummeled by Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast. Do you remember when he was here? When that hurricane happened, I remember watching the news, and I saw the newscaster standing there as the storm was starting to come in, and I realized just from what they said, I know exactly where that newscaster's standing because I've stood there. That's down the street from Peter's house. I know exactly where that is. Now, all of a sudden, it wasn't just some storm. This was a storm that was affecting my friend. It became personal because now, all of a sudden, it wasn't just an it. It wasn't just a thing. Now, all of a sudden, it had a connection to me because when you make something personal, you see it in a different way. Oftentimes, we can be prone to disregard the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we just think of the Holy Spirit as kind of this like bonus part of the Trinity, we just, it comes along with the Father and the Son. No, the Holy Spirit's a, a he. It's a person with whom there's a relationship that can be had. We know that because can a thing or can an it grieve? No, what Paul says is do not grieve the Holy Spirit. To grieve, you, you have to have some kind of relationship. So recognize from this verse that the Holy Spirit is a person. And then I know this sounds really elementary and basic, but let let me make another observation from this verse. And and some of you are going to be like, hey, there you go, genius. You had a real Einstein moment there, didn't you? But it's this, that the Holy Spirit is holy. The Holy Spirit is holy. Now, you you may go, hey, that's a no-brainer. But I'm not so sure. I think sometimes we just look at that title, the Holy Spirit, without thinking of what it implies. See, it's more than just a title or what he puts on his business card. In fact, in this verse, the the way that the Greek words it, it, it emphasizes this idea because it speaks of the Holy Spirit of God. It is forcing this issue that the Spirit is holy. And we've got to realize it's not a title, it's an adjective. It says who he is, and he is holy. And when you know something about someone, but then you disregard that thing about them, you, you offend that person. If you think about it, have you ever been um, in an awkward situation where maybe somebody says something about someone else and doesn't realize that they're, that they're there or in the conversation? Sometimes we have those awkward moments when you're with someone and they may make some kind of comment about someone who's from a different race. And then all of a sudden realizes that a person from that race is sitting there. Do you know that awkward moment? And all of a sudden you go, man, I didn't mean to offend you. I I didn't mean to speak about who you are or, or against you. Understand this about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is holy. So when there are things in our lives that aren't holy, they are in conflict and offensive to the Spirit. Does that make sense? 
At 8.30? Awesome. This is great. This is great. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit is holy. That adjective describes who he is. And anything that is not holy is in conflict to him. Okay, here's here's another observation that that I would make from this verse. The Holy Spirit gives a promise of our future. The Holy Spirit gives a promise of our future. Scripture speaks about the Holy Spirit several times. You you see it in Ephesians 1. We're going to see it in 2 Corinthians 1. There's there's multiple places where Paul uses this terminology. And in verse 30 here, he said that it was with the Holy Spirit whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When he speaks about that, he's using this image from the first century of a seal that, that that a ruler or a wealthy person might put on something they owned. It might be even the impression of a ring that was that was made with wax that showed this belongs to me. It even had the idea of a guarantee or a down payment on something. And because the Spirit lives in us, Scripture says, we have this promise of God's salvation for us. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Paul writes, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He's saying here that the Holy Spirit in your life, active in your life, is like a a down payment. It's like a guarantee. It's a deposit of the life that is ahead for you. The reality of our salvation, the truth that Jesus is making a difference in our lives, and the promise that we have of eternity in heaven as followers of Christ, we know all of that. We can rest secure in all that. We We have a guarantee of that because the Spirit is living inside of us. I bought, some, I bought some tickets to an event recently. So I did it all online, you know, and I went and picked out my seats and I put in my payment information and then I clicked, you know, submit and I waited and I got the confirmation. It says, okay, you, you have these tickets. And I looked for that email because I want to make sure then that whether I do it with, with, with the mobile app when I get to the event or whether I print out the tickets, I've got that ticket that says, look, I, I, I have this paid for. I have this assurance. I have a guarantee that I can go to that event. And I'm going to treasure those tickets because if I get there and I don't have them, I'm, I'm stuck, right? In a certain sense, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee for us of our promise of heaven, of the relationship of Christ in our hearts. And we can't forget that part of what God is saying to us through putting his Holy Spirit in our hearts is that he is in the process of bringing salvation to us. You know, so many times we use the word saved like it's an event that's just done and happened and over. And the truth is, what Christ did in our lives, when he died on the cross, he purchased our salvation once and for all. True? But have we truly received our salvation in full yet? No. Truthfully, we won't receive that until the day that Jesus returns and we're with him in heaven. See, the idea in Scripture and the Jewish idea of salvation is this, that we are in the process of being saved. There is a process of salvation that's happening in our lives, and not a process that's incomplete or that doesn't work or that's, that's fearful, a process that is secure, that in every moment of every day, God is bringing me his salvation. And even though I haven't received it all yet, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that I will one day be fully in his presence and fully know his salvation. When we see the Holy Spirit in that way, 
That he's pointing to us in days of trouble, in days of trial, in days of struggle, in days where we're still impacted by sin in the world, that the Holy Spirit in our lives reminds us of the better future that God has for us. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? That's why he says he's, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit because he is at work in bringing his salvation to us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, look at this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit gives a promise of our future. How does the Holy Spirit do that? Let me make another observation for you. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. He doesn't glorify himself. He doesn't um, bring the focus on us. The work of the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. In verse 30 that we're looking at in Ephesians 4, it talks about the day of redemption. Who purchased our redemption for us? Jesus, when he died on the cross. We are reminded of what he did. Here's what Jesus said, John chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and reminds us that our redemption is in him. Now, I don't know I don't know how life affects you. When was the last time that you really thought about what Jesus did for you? Because I have a tendency to skate through life and enjoy my salvation and forget that it costs someone everything. I think that's why it's, it's good that we took time to pray for our friends in the 180th today. Because right now, as they're deployed, they're in a real season of sacrifice, away from their friends, away from their families. Why? So they could serve and protect this nation. You, me. And it's good for us to stop and think about it. When was the last time you really paused and thought about what Jesus did for you? See, part of the Holy Spirit's work is to point us to Jesus so that we do not forget his sacrifice. That's how he purchased our redemption that verse 30 talks about. Let me, uh, let me make another observation about the Holy Spirit. And, and this isn't so much from verse 30 of Ephesians 4, but it's, it's part of what Paul's whole focus is in this passage. You see it in, in chapter 5, verse 18. Here's, here's another observation that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is God's desire for us, that we have a relationship where in our lives we are filled with his spirit day in, day out, that we walk in the spirit, that we live by the spirit, scripture says. Listen to what he says, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, and this, this is interesting how he says this. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. Why did Paul make that contrast so starkly? Here's the reason why. Because part of the, the ancient worship in, 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 in Greece at that time had to do with the god Dionysius, and part of that meant that as a part of your worship, you would get drunk. 
And, and part of that celebration of that God was drunken revelry that would happen. And the thought is that maybe some of that was being brought into the church because they were bringing some of their old worship practices into that new Christian setting. And Paul was saying, look, you don't need to be filled with that. You don't need that substitute in your worship. What you need is to be filled with the Spirit. And I think we look for substitutes. Alcohol is actually one that's, that's very interesting because for many people, they look to that to meet some kind of need in their life, to fill some kind of void, to be some kind of substitute for the peace they wish they had or the rest they wish they had or the joy that they wish they had. And they try to fill it with a substance or with a thing or with a person or with an activity. And what Paul's saying here is, look, don't be filled with something that's not, don't be filled with something that's not gonna laugh. You wathly wabbit you. He says, look, don't, don't be filled with that. Be filled with the spirit. Be filled with what is real, what's reality, what only God can bring to you. We can be filled with the Spirit. Don't accept that cheap substitute because it's a beautiful thing to be filled with the Spirit. Now let me give to you, and I know we're rapid fire here. It's kind of random, but see the snapshot of what we've painted here of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person who wants to have a relationship with you, and he is holy. And when there's a lack of holiness, that, that's in conflict to him. And he reminds us of what God has done for us in the past and the beautiful future that we have with him. And he wants to fill our lives with something that doesn't need a cheap substitute. This is a beautiful picture Paul is painting of the Holy Spirit here, isn't it? A friend who wants to meet the needs in your life in close relationship because of a great sacrifice that was done for you by Jesus Christ. If you take time to think about the the work that the Holy Spirit, that God wants to, through his Holy Spirit to have in your life, it's a powerful thing, which then makes this last observation so, so relevant to us. Paul says, last observation here, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. That we can grieve the Holy Spirit. That we can make the Holy Spirit sad disappointed, frustrated in our lives. Have you ever, this is just true confession, I think we're all, raise your hand if you're not a human here today. Let's do that. Let's just start here, okay? We're all human. You ever, you ever said something unkind and then realized that the person you said it about was an earshot? And there's that moment where your eyes lock and you just, you just kind of see that hurt in their eyes? Whether it was on purpose or on accident, have you ever broken anything that was valuable to someone else? And then, uh, and then you have to tell them about it? Or even worse, <laughs> you have to turn and see that they watched you did it? Have you ever betrayed a person? Or broken a promise? And that, I don't know, it's that look in the eyes that's really hard to get past. In fact, it may never be the same. Or maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've had a promise broken. Then in the depths of your soul, you know the idea of this word grieve. And Paul says that it's possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit, to make the Holy Spirit sad or pained or troubled because of our lives. Look, the Holy Spirit's not an it, not a thing, because only a friend can be grieved, right? 
Only someone who has relationship can really know the depth of that. And grief happens over a loss. So when the Holy Spirit sees something in our lives and knows that somehow we lost out on a richer relationship with him or an opportunity from God or a moment that could have been a blessing to us, there's this grief that comes to the Spirit and it's painful. And in those moments, Paul doesn't say that the Holy Spirit leaves us or abandons us or gives up on us. But he says he's grieved. And I know this from personal experience. That whether I did it or they did it, when something happens in a relationship that grieves that relationship, that relationship is damaged. True? Paul says it's possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit. And then I think if you read, especially Paul's writings carefully enough, you, you can see that there's a progression that can take place in our lives. I mean, if you grieve the Holy Spirit enough times, then you can begin to, well, let me show you what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Here's, here's another command he gives. He says, do not quench the Spirit. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. See, if you continually grieve the Holy Spirit, then you can stifle the Spirit's work in your life. You can literally put up a wall or a roadblock or a hindrance to keep the Holy Spirit from being able to do the work that he desires to do if you continually push away or hurt that relationship. And this is, this is scary, friends, in, in, in a certain sense, because what can happen is there can begin a process that happens in our lives where we first just, just we, insensitively, we grieve the Holy Spirit, and then we begin to stifle or quench his work. And then and the author of Hebrews talks to us about how we can harden our hearts against the Holy Spirit. And as that process takes place, I, I personally think that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 12 when he says that there's this moment where we can blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And if you have reached the end of your life and you have continually rejected the Holy Spirit's voice, if you've not received his salvation or if you've not softened your heart to the Spirit, then there's no way for you to be forgiven. That's, that's Jesus' point. I think oftentimes we, we get very concerned about that phrase, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. L let me read to you a note from the, from the Fire Bible. Oftentimes we'll encourage you, if you're looking for a, a, a good biblical resource tool, there's a tool called the Fire Bible. Um, and without going into a lot of explanation today, it's a great study Bible. Here's what it says about this passage, about the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It says, hardening the heart leads to a corrupt and perverted mind that is not open to God and that views good as evil and evil as good. When this heart attitude reaches a certain point, only God knows where this is, the Spirit will no longer try to lead that person towards God. And without the Spirit's prompting, people will never be able to come to God or accept his truth on their own. And I think oftentimes we get fearful sometimes. And we begin to say, have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? You ever known anybody who had that fear? I've had people ask me that question. Listen to the last part of this passage in, uh, in this note. It says, for those who are worried about having committed the unpardonable sin, the fact that they still recognize the need to be forgiven and have the desire to turn from their sin is evidence that they have not committed the unpardonable sin. Anyone who is guilty of that sin would have no desire to be forgiven or to turn to God. And so if you still feel that pull of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to respond to that. Because what can happen is we can grieve the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit and we can harden our hearts and we can get to a point, if we're not careful, where we have pushed the Holy Spirit out of our lives, whether in small or in large ways, which brings us back to this point that Paul makes here. We can grieve 
the Holy Spirit. There's only two places. This was fascinating to me. I guess I didn't realize it until I was studying for this message. There's only two places in the Old Testament where, and the Spirit of God is spoken of a lot in the Old Testament, but there's only two places where you actually see the term the Holy Spirit. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. And look at what it says. Isaiah 63, verse 10 says, Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Sound familiar? So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Wow. Israel rebelled so much against God, grieved the Holy Spirit so much, that God said, you know what? I'm going to cheer for the other team. I'm going I'm to mix things up here a little bit. Because I don't know how else I'm going to get their attention. If you consistently live a life of grieving the Holy Spirit, you risk losing the favor of God in your life. Chew on that for a minute. If you consistently live a life of grieving the Holy Spirit, based on that passage in Isaiah 63.10, I would say you risk losing the favor of God in your life. And look, it's not because God gets his feelings hurt easily, right? I don't think it's because God's walking around heaven going, they weren't nice to me, so I won't be nice to them. God's not petty like that. The truth is this. When we consistently push God out of our lives, it's hard for him to be at home in our hearts. So I guess the big question that that I have for you is, have you grieved the Holy Spirit in your life? Are there ways in which, maybe even in the process of your life today, you are causing the spirit to know pain or sadness or loss. Like a parent watching from the sidelines or in the shadows when their child doesn't realize that they're watching. Is the spirit saddened by the things that they see in your speech or your behavior or in your thoughts? Sometimes it's an outright sin, right? It's just something we're doing and we know we shouldn't. Oftentimes it's our words. In fact, in Ephesians 4, where you see this passage, Ephesians 4.30, it's right in the context of when we talked about words several weeks ago. Sometimes it's our attitudes. And we just have a bad attitude. Sometimes it's the fears that we let take control of our lives. Sometimes it's those times when whether through jealousy or through lust or through covetousness, we start to want things that aren't ours to want and we disregard God's Holy Spirit's voice in our lives. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's not trusting him. Sometimes it's when we mistreat others. Uh, Maybe we, we say things about others because we want to make ourselves look good. Or sometimes we just stir up Um, discord is the biblical word between other people. I can tell you as a parent, the times when I've been the most grieved with my children have been when they haven't been treating each other right. True? I mean, this grief comes in so many different ways. Sometimes it's disobedience. Sometimes it's temptation. Sometimes it's through bad judgment. Sometimes it's when we're ashamed of our faith and we won't take a stand for Christ. 
Sometimes it's through comparison. When we judge our own self-worth based on other people and we don't listen to the Spirit's voice saying, do you know who you are to me? There's so many different ways where we can grieve the Spirit. And we've already seen that if we don't approach that, if we don't remember what he's done for us, that he is a holy friend who reminds us what God did in our past, how he's promised us our future, how he wants to fill our lives with beautiful things. If we don't realize that, but instead we push him away, we run the risk of losing God's favor in our lives. Paul says, look, church, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So when this light bulb came on for me, Got a, I got a good friend who I can, uh, I can just be honest with. I talk to him about my temptations and my attitudes and my challenges. And I was having a conversation. And I was basically just talking about how you push through life, right? How you take care of things, even in the spiritual side of things. And I can't remember how he worded it, but this is basically the question he asked me. But what about the Holy Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit in all this in your life? Where are you allowing the Spirit of God to, to speak to you and lead you and to guide you? And look, probably like you, I pray. I ask God for his help and his guidance and direction. But there are those places for all of us that are quick to become ours and not his. Does that make sense? And it caused me to say, where, where, am, I, where am I literally making the best friend I could ever have saddened by the loss in our relationship? Where am I grieving the Holy Spirit? And my hope was, on this first Sunday in February, that you would ask the same question. It's interesting because that's basically the same question that when the prophet Nathan went to David, David had to ask himself. So you might want to flip to Psalm 51 because I think that the answer to this question, what do I do if I've grieved the Holy Spirit, is found in that, in that psalm. It's a familiar psalm, but sometimes the most important things we can look at are reminders of things we already know. What, what did David do when he realized, and this is the passage he wrote when he had sinned by committing adultery with Bathsheba, but whatever it is in your life, that place where maybe you say, am I grieving the Holy Spirit? What do I do if I'm in that place? How do I respond? Here's one other interesting note. There's only two places in the Old Testament, we said, where you see the phrase, Holy Spirit. One is in Isaiah 63. The other is here in Psalm 51. Both of them in the context of relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. So what do we do? If you are in a place where you've grieved the Holy Spirit, based on this passage, let me just throw four things your way very quickly. The first is this. Number one, you need to reflect. Number one, you need to reflect. What's that mean? I think it means that you take a really good look at what you see. You look at that reflection in the mirror, and you ask, what am I looking at? Psalm 51, verse 1, David says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He said, God, I'm taking a really good look at myself. And when you do, 
I challenge you to ask the question, where is the Holy Spirit? Where is my relationship with him? We don't have time on a Sunday morning to, to maybe do everything that we could do with this. Can I give you a little homework? And then we'll check it at the door next week, and if you didn't do it, we'll increase your tithe. How's that sound? That's, that's kind of how it's going to work. Let me, let me give you just a little bit of, a little bit of homework. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Maybe this week, as you're just trying to spend some time with the Lord and his word, maybe, maybe read that passage and ask yourself the question, does that describe my life? Am I living in the spirit? Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Let me give you another one. In fact, I want to read this one for you. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, 6, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Listen to what it says. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Did you, did you hear what it said there? That your body is the temple. It is the holy dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit lives in you, do you live like it? You know what it's like when somebody comes and stays at your house? You, you are mindful of that person being there. So do you live with the reality that the Holy Spirit lives in you, in your actions, in times of temptation, in your attitudes, when you're confronted with fear, in your words, in your priorities, do you live like you're the temple of the Holy Spirit or do you just ignore your house guest? We had a really weird family experience one time where we went and we're traveling and, and along the way we, we stayed with some folks. And when, when we got there, it was like, hey, it's good to see you and everything. Here's dinner. And we sat down and had dinner and then when dinner was over, everybody just kind of went and did their own thing. And we were just kind of sitting around looking at each other going, Sure is great to be here with people who are ignoring us. It was, it was weird. And just for the record, we didn't like invite ourselves, okay? Just for the record. Now, if I just show up at your house, I expect to be treated royally, okay? <laughs> but you know the thing? It's just this weird moment where you're like, well, I thought I was here to kind of, and maybe we'd spend some time, and thought we'd get caught, and just, we'd just, but no, you go ahead in the other room, and I'll let you know if anything happens in here. How many times do we do that with the Holy Spirit? We go to church on Sunday, and we say, Holy Spirit, live in me, fill me, work in my life, help me in my life. And Monday through Saturday, we say, and it'd be great if you just stay in your room. <laughs> it's that house guest that we act like isn't even there. You go to church with him on Sunday, and then you ignore him the rest of the week. Let me give you one other passage real quick. Here's some more homework. Galatians chapter five, beginning with verse 16. I'd encourage you to read through the rest of the chapter, but Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Paul says, so I, walk, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you, when you reflect, when you look at your life, where do you see the Holy Spirit? And if you see there's places where you've grieved him, Number two is that you repent. Number two is that you repent. For the, for the sake of time, I, um, I'm gonna just leave it at, at this. Repentance requires two things, I think. One of the things that repentance requires is confession. It, it requires that I'm gonna be willing to say, this, this, is, this is what I did that grieved you. 
Confession's tough because it's one thing to just, have you ever had somebody say to you, hey, you know, um, I, I get this every so often when there's a conflict between two people. They'll say to me, can you let her know that I'm sorry? Can you tell him that I'm sorry? And the answer is, no, you wimp. Tell him yourself. Right, you tell him. You, you have that confrontation for two reasons. One, that's the only way healing's gonna happen. And number two, if you're not willing to deal with that for yourself, you're really not dealing with it. Isn't that true? Confession between you and God, this is what David had to do. He had to work this through. Read Psalm 51. He had to confess that. Say, look, this is what I did. Repentance requires confession, and then the truth is, repentance requires change. If you're truly repentant, there's going to be change, not just a moment, but you think this out and go, what's going to be different in my life? You need to repent. The third thing I think David points us to in Psalm 51 is, is this idea of, of renew, that somehow we need to renew something in our hearts. And the reality is, is only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only God himself can do that work in our lives. Look at what he said, Psalm 51, verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Man, we, that's, a, that's a sermon right there. But he says, I want you to create in me a pure heart. God, I want you to renew something inside of me. Renew a steadfast spirit, a right spirit, a, a the idea behind that is this firm and sturdy spirit, something that can be relied upon. God, something that's right, that's steadfast, renew that inside of me. Because if you'll do that, then I can live my life in a different way. I, for years and years and years, I drove a, an 88 Olds Cutlass Sierra. I love that car. And Rhonda, correct me if I'm wrong, I looked awesome in it. Isn't that true? <laughs> Just so cool driving that thing. I loved that car, and then it had some weird things that would, would happen, and I remember like there was a, a sensor module thing that went out, and it was really weird because it would, like, it would start bucking, and it wouldn't drive right, and it was, just, it was just weird. It sounded weird, and it was real choppy when it would drive, and I had to take it into the shop and say, there's something wrong here, and it was amazing that when they fixed that, everything ran different. It was smooth. They renewed the whole thing. The way it was running was pure, and it was steadfast. It was right. And there's points when you've got to go to someone, God, who's got more ability than you do, and fix that thing that's just not right in your heart. And when you do, it's amazing how your life will run differently. This is why Paul says that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we need to allow him to be at work in our lives and renew us day in, day out, that that renewal would come. And then there's a fourth thing. Let me just hit this real quick. David says that we need to, to restore something in our lives. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we need to restore something in our lives. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you really dig down on that, there's some beautiful things in there. Holy Spirit, will you, will you come and restore to me joy? Joy is... Uh, Deeper than circumstance. It's different than happy, isn't it? And what, you, you, you've, everybody's heard that, that hit song. I'm so happy, you know the song, right? I won't sing more or it'll be in your head for the next six weeks, right? Because I'm happy. Well, what happens when you're not? You don't sing the song when you're not. 
See, joy goes deeper than that. It's something where you know you're walking with the Holy Spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And, and give me, the NIV says, a willing spirit to sustain me. I don't know about you, but a lot of days, I need something that's gonna sustain me, that's gonna come alongside of me, that's gonna help me. You know who scripture says that is? It's the Holy Spirit. So I don't wanna grieve him. I don't wanna jeopardize that relationship. I just want him to be at work in my life. Where... Where have you grieved the Holy Spirit? And as you allow God's Spirit to highlight that in your heart, will you reflect on that? Will you repent? Will you let him renew and restore something in you? Because if you will, it'll, it'll, be, it'll change your life. So here's what I invite you to do. I'm gonna invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. And, and I, I wanna just give you a minute. Alicia's gonna lead us in that song. It says, Lord, I come and I confess that bowing here I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one. That's what I need you to say. God, you're the one. Holy Spirit, you're the one who heals, who restores, who guides, who, who leads my heart. And would you, in this next moment, as we sing this song, would you let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? Lord, I come and I confess Bowing here, I find my rest And without you, I fall apart You're the one that guides my heart Sing this chorus with us, Lord, I need you so clearly that the Holy Spirit put in my heart that today was the day where some people just needed to be called to repentance. 
that there's a place in your life where you have grieved the Holy Spirit. And it's really hard for us to be filled with the Spirit when we've saddened and pushed Him aside. And maybe you've even been able to reconcile those two things in your life. But by God's grace, he's highlighting some things to you. He's showing you the place as you reflect where you need to repent, where you need to allow him to renew a right spirit in you, where you let him restore a joy and a and a willing spirit to sustain you. Like David, you, you would say, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And you would just clearly say, Spirit, I don't want to grieve you anymore. You're my holy friend. And I don't want to grieve you. I want to be filled. I want to live in that right place. And I don't know that this is a moment for anything but intimacy between you and God. Whether it's for the first time or whether it's just a really important time. You just say, Spirit, I I don't want to grieve you anymore. And so, Father, we come to you in this moment. With our affirmation, Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. May we be willing to ask the question, where's the Holy Spirit in my life? That you wouldn't be the house guest that we ignore but that we would recognize that we are your dwelling place, that you live in us and with us, and that we would walk every day with that awareness in our hearts. May Paul's admonition to us sink deep today that we would not grieve the Holy Spirit. And here's why. Because if we will, then we will know life in the Spirit. And life in the Spirit will bring us joy, and it will sustain us, and it will give us hope, and it will make all things new. And Holy Spirit, we want to live in that life from you. So help us not to grieve you, but to be filled with all that you can bring to our lives, we pray. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.